If you're thinking about starting a podcast, let us tell you about Anchor. First off, it's free, and you can record and edit your show through your computer or phone, or import your show from whatever recording software you already use. Anchor will then distribute your show for you so it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And probably the best part, you can start making money with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to start a podcast from start to finish in one place, and it was a super easy switch for us. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's anchor.fm. Folks, uh, so Shiloh and I are going to experiment with something, which is going to be our 0.5 episodes. We're going to be providing a little bit of education during these brief episodes so that people that aren't um, intimately familiar with mental health terminology can get up to speed. One of the things that we're going to be referring to a lot is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is our big book of diagnosis that we use in this field. Um, so to get you ready for this week's episode on Scott Peterson, and this will also prepare you for future episodes, we want to talk about um, antisocial personality disorder. Uh, so antisocial personality disorder is a really fixed and chronic pattern of disregard for the rights of others and an ease in violating the rights of others. and the diagnostic manual looks at it as if the start of those uh, symptoms or those behaviors are around age 15. Um, so I'm just going to read some of the things to you from the um, DSM. One is failure to conform to social norms with respect to law of behaviors is indicated by repeatedly performing acts that are grounds for arrest. So that's not going to hit everybody, right, Shiloh? No. I because mean, some people are going to, like some of the most successful sociopaths or CEOs that... That don't ever have any crossings with the law or the criminal justice system. Sure. Right. Um, deceitfulness is definitely going to be one of the criteria for antisocial personality disorder. Um, so this is a lot of what we're going to be talking about in upcoming episodes. Repeated lying. Um, conning others, basically using any means necessary to get their needs met above anyone else's. Right. So let's see what's next. Um, impulsivity. Mm -hmm. um, so the failure to plan ahead. Mm -hmm. um, this one is a little bit of a, I feel like is a little bit wonky because I, you're going to hear stories from us of a lot of sociopaths uh, that are quite capable. Oh, lots of, of planning. Of planning ahead. Sure. Um, so that one, I think, is there's a little bit of more sort of the lower socioeconomic person that ends up in prison. Maybe, a, you know, maybe the not-so-smart criminal, sure. right? Sure, So um, irritability, aggressiveness, inability to sort of tolerate any distress, and um, the re result is getting into numerous fights or assaults. So with all this being said, there's 
again, going back to their own needs being met and not caring so much for the needs or safety of others, there is this reckless disregard for the well-being of other people in general. And so that can mean safety-wise um, or just their emotional well-being um, and a lack of, of caring for them. Okay. And um, irresponsibility, uh, repeated failures to sustain consistent work behavior or honor financial obligations or honor financial obligations. One of the things that you find in this diagnosis is a really static work history. You know, um, you, it was, it's not surprising to find sociopaths who are excellent liars, excellent at deceit, um, obtaining very uh, prestigious positions in the community or very prestigious positions at work, but they rarely last. Right, the manipulation is the con to get into it. Right, but then they don't have the ability to sustain the manipulation in order to keep it going. Now, obviously, this is a generalization because, mm -hmm. as we'll talk about, um, some very famous people that exhibit, you know, at least, if not, if not full-blown, at least strong flavors of antisocial personality disorder, like Bernie Madoff. Bernie Madoff right. ran that scam for years and was right. highly aware of what he was right. doing. Um Let's see. I would say the last one and probably the most obvious that you hear with this is lack of remorse. Yeah, lack of remorse. Um, which we've sort of touched on with the other criteria, but really they're just, um, you know, it, it, there's no bad feelings about what they have done to other people. Except in as much as, for some, the consequences of actions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, not saying that this individual is not able to learn or understand that uh, actions have consequences, um, but that uh, cannot be mistaken for actual empathy. Although, what we'll find, and I will talk about this uh, later on in my experience working in the correctional settings, is that long-term criminals who have been exposed to um, therapy speak or terms and they've got nothing better to do but to study it, become excellent mimics of real human emotion when, sure. when it's not something they're actually capable of feeling. What's the saying? It's, um, oh gosh, they know the lyrics, but they can't hum the tune. Something like yeah, that. I think it's yeah. kind of poetic the way it that's is. put. And that's going to be even more true for psychopaths. And when they are identified in treatment, oftentimes the recommendation is no treatment because yeah. they're just learning from you how they should be acting, what they should be saying, and there it, isn't... It can make them better criminals. Yeah, there isn't yeah. any real treatment process so, happening. Obviously, we're going to be talking about some real-life um, ASPDs, but uh, if for just a media references, um, Tony Soprano of The Sopranos is a great example of someone who was probably made into a sociopath You know, from his involvement in crime from such, such an early age. We do show, I think at the beginning of the series, he is shown as having panic disorder. So it's not that they can't have a range of physiological responses that neuronormative people do. Right. But uh, the actual empathy is not there. Who else? Um, Don Draper from Mad Men is another great example of a very successful sociopath uh, who manipulates his way through relationships and through work. And lived a double life. 
Oh, yeah. Perfect example of somebody who lived a double life. Sure. Okay. So um, that's a little bit of a prep. Um, were you going to do more? Well, I haven't even talked about psychopathy. Oh. <laughs> you just went into antisocial personality disorder. So let's just address the issue of using the term psychopath versus sociopath because um, uh, there's other podcasts out there where this gets interchanged. I've, not just other podcasts, just life and people. Well, in our profession. Talking about there's it a lot professionally of debate, right? or casually. Um, so these are both terms um, that are used clinically. They're used informally. Um, but they're generally used to describe somebody who has a lot of different personality traits as well as behavioral traits where it seems like they are doing things that someone who we can only understand as being crazy or insane to be doing, yet they don't appear that way. Um, if you want to say that this is antisocial personality disorder to the nth degree or magnified, that's generally how we like to think about it. Somebody who meets that diagnosis for antisocial personality disorder doesn't necessarily mean they would rise to the level of psychopath or sociopath, but the reverse would be true. Psychopath was the original term used, um, again, to describe individuals, as I just, just said, that they have maybe engaged in some really horrific behaviors, but they seem to not be crazy or insane, yet um, are able to do some really horrific things. Psychopath was the first term used about 100 years ago. And then when we came into more modern times with social learning theory in the 60s with, you know, Albert Bandura and the Bobo doll and Bye. looking at um, how we model behavior for other people, um, terms of the social learning movement became more popular and that's when sociopath became used more than psychopath and then late 80s or no i'm sorry early 80s is when dr robert hare developed the psychopathy checklist and so we actually had an assessment tool that we could see whether or not somebody was scoring high on traits that psychopaths had and I think with the formalization of an assessment that really solidified the term psychopath over sociopath, which was a little bit more short-lived, um, since I came into psychology in the 2000s, I guess graduate school, 2000s, um, that's just the term that I was always familiar right. with. And having a heavy assessment background and being trained in the psychopathy checklist, that has just always been the term that I lean towards. And we should also point out that and it's so ironic because I've just now gotten into Mind Hunter, which is a great series that's on Netflix right now, really beautifully done. We'll go into a little bit more, but they gave me a little history lesson that I had forgotten about the origins of psychology from, because they talk about this in a lecture of Enrico uh, Ferry. Enrico Ferry from about the mid 1800s, 1856. He was the one to first come up with the five classifications of criminals. This was somebody right. who wanted to distinctly put a difference between the different types of criminals. So he had the criminal madman, the born criminal, the habitual criminal, the occasional criminal, and then the criminal of passion. And those are a pretty self-explanatory, right? A crime sure. of passion is like your one-time like it's every episode of Snapped, yes. basically, yes. right? Um, the occasional criminal is somebody that maybe, you know, on the light end would be what, like a, you know, a shoplifter, somebody that just wants mm -hmm. 
burn off some emotional energy so they do little minor criminals or they take advantage of situations when they're there. Right. The habitual criminal who is like a career criminal and is, you know, there's a lot of factors that could be involved in that. The born criminal, which is something that we are really interested in, which is like looking at people that are just wired differently from birth and not necessarily the criminal that is made from, you know, environment. environment. So this doesn't necessarily hold up in the 20th, 21st century. No, not at but all. But it's a really cool to think that they were thinking about this yeah, at that time. absolutely. And so the most current research we have with psychopaths, and there's a lot of lab studies that have been done with psychopaths, um, if you're interested in more of this in depth, definitely go buy the book Without Conscience yeah. from um, Robert Hare, the developer of the, the assessment tool. Oh, and The Sociopath Next Door. Okay. Did you read that one? It's a really quick I read. I may have. Martha, Martha, Dr. Martha Stout, I believe is her name. And it's, okay. you guys, it's a we'll great book. We'll check on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the most current research is stating that it's, it's basically a combination of some biological factors at birth. There's um, an aggressive or aggression gene that they have been able to map as well as um, something going on in the brain where um, there are these biological before birth type factors that is are present with them. Or are they saying strictly genetic? Um, one is one marker is genetic, and then something else is chemical okay. in the brain, and then put that with most often um, the third environmental factor of very severe abuse in childhood. Okay, so that seems to be important. Like maybe that's the trigger. Yeah, sure. For sure. for something happening. Sure. But because you it, could have the other two biological factors and be fine, and they have. There are people out there that have them. And, and don't have the abuse and just live normalized. Just live normalized. So what? Since I'm not up on this particular research that you're reading, are you? Or is it any? Is it any kind of? Um, is there a structural component to it? Like, is it related to the amygdala or? Yes, I believe so. I I know a neuropsychologist or neuroscientist was the one doing a lot of the leading research on okay. it. Um, and I, I believe there are areas they're able to pinpoint that are lighting up in certain um, situations that necessarily wouldn't for non-psychopaths. Okay, that's very so, interesting. Um, so interestingly, psychopathy is not a formal diagnosis. So it's not in our DSM. Um, there is, it's not a diagnosis that you can necessarily label somebody with, even though we kind of toss the term around. But generally, anyone that would score high on the assessment tool is somebody that we would say has these psychopathy traits. So um, if they have a high enough score, then generally we would say, okay, this person is a psychopath. And that's how we identify them for purposes of study and for doing research. So essentially the psychopathy checklist assessment, which I happen to have one with me right now, um, has two factors. Um, so these are the two areas where we look at different traits with individuals. And the first factor is looking at sort of their interpersonal relationships with people and their how they present. And then the other factor is looking at their behaviors. Okay. So you can imagine that the, the criminal that would score high, we're looking at their behaviors of things they're doing. There's probably related to crime. Um, pathological lying, 
um, parasitic lifestyle, which oh, is okay. huge. Yeah. I think when I listen to Dirty John, it just parasitic lifestyle sticks out to me as like the number one red right. flag. Just literally feeding. Okay, not literally. I need to stop using that term. Overusing <laughs> that term. You literally need to stop using I that. I literally need to stop doing that. Um, it's just really feeding off of other people to sustain their own life and doing it by whatever means and usually illegally and immorally and all of the above. But just being really impulsive, um, being pretty versatile in the different types of crimes they get involved with, whether it's financial crimes to sort of you know, stay afloat and sustain themselves, or if it's crimes against other people um, because they're acting out. Usually they have some sort of uh, juvenile criminal history or delinquency. So this started clearly um, very young. But those are the most obvious ones, I yeah. think, that are really easy to look at and say, oh, okay, I don't even have to talk to this person. I can just look at a, a criminal record and sort of tick these things off. But the first factor that goes back to the more personal or interpersonal affective presentation for someone is how they talk to people and how they appear. And so that's going to be your conning, manipulative. So charming, like really sort of feeling you out, feeling their victim out, trying to find a, a, a hook, right? Yes. How okay. can they be a chameleon to change to what they need to get from you? Right. Um, whether that is charming, um, whether it's just not showing a lot of emotion. Um, again, going back to well, some of the... Which leads a, leaves a blank slate, right? So oh, if sure. they're not, if they're just leaving a blank slate, then somebody who is perhaps in a bad place in their life or is a characterologically needy person mm -hmm. or has characterological issues, that person then may interpret that blank slate as being more interested, more compassionate, more caring right. than they actually are. They fill it in. Right. They They're fill filling in the, in the void. void. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, a lot of times we get also this um, grandiose sense of self. Yeah. So whether it's part of their lies, um, I remember very distinctly in my training that Donald Trump was used as this specific item. No. Weird, Don't right? get political. <laughs> <laughs> Weird. Um, but when everything's wonderful and amazing and everything you've done is just at the top of your game, um, that's your... Okay, so you bring up something very interesting without going too far into the political realm. But that is an, another uh, important point I want to make is that in this particular constellation of behaviors and um, inner workings... There's not really a middle ground, right? Like, so everything is great or it's awful. Correct. Right? So the way they're presenting, they're putting a spotlight on their victims. You are the best, you're the best, you're the best. But if then, if they don't, if that, their victim doesn't reflect back right. sort of that narcissistic extension, then they flip on them and you're the worst, you know, uh, you're scum, you're terrible, right. and now, since you're not what I need you to be, I'm going to threaten you. Yes. Okay. Yes completely all or nothing type thinking. Yeah. So we hope this has been helpful just in kind of dissecting some of these terms, letting you know that probably from here on out, we're going to use the term psychopathy and psychopath when we are referring to these folks. But we just thought it would be a nice little setup for our next episode, which is going to be about leading double lives. So thank you so much for joining us for a short mini episode and we'll see you next time
time on LA. Not so. Confidential.